I had like a, a moment where life hit me hard yesterday. Um, I'm an adult, you know. I'm grown up. I'm talking to my wife last night, and I'm, do, I'm talking about grown up things, like what I want for my birthday, you know. And my birthday's coming up in like a couple weeks. Those of you who don't know, my birthday's April 7th. It's going to be on a shig. So just, just so you know, it's just in a couple shigs away. Yeah, no big deal. Um, also, just want to let you know about my gift policy. I accept late gifts. So I am still accepting gifts from when I turned 28. I'm turning 29 April 7th, but I'm still accepting gifts from last year's birthday, and I'll accept late gifts going into the year. So no worries about that. Don't stress out about that. I'm very forgiving with that. Um, anyways, I had a moment where I'm talking to her about my gifts, like what I want her to get me, and then I realized, like she said something, but I realized I'm turning 29 and that my days in my 20s are numbered. And then, like, I literally, like, asked Siri, like, how many days are left until I'm, I'm 30? And, like, she didn't really know what it meant. But then I had to ask, like, how many days until April 7th, 2025? And it's, like, 414 days. That's how many days I have left in my 20s. And so, like, I've been, like, hit with this, like, oh, my gosh, I'm getting old. Like, once you're 30, it's over, you know? But the scary thing is, yeah, I know. <laughs> the scary thing is when you ask somebody in their 30s or when, when I tell somebody in my 30s, man, I'm, I'm getting old, they get upset with me. And they tell me, well, wait until you, what, like, we're still young, right? And then if you tell somebody that's older, they're like, well, wait until you get into your 40s and how you're going to feel then. And, like, and I realize like life is just this cycle of just, you know, you're getting older and older and like you, you once could do things and you no longer can. You once could eat things. And now you can't, like, I'm at the age now where, like, if I drink a pop, like, a couple hours before I go to sleep, I'm up. I can't, I can't sleep, you know? Like, it, it's bad. It's, I'm at that age. I, I used to drink Mountain Dew and then go to sleep, like, 20 minutes later. I can't do that anymore, you know? And it's, it, like, I'm just realizing life is just slowly getting harder and harder, you know? But that's not why I'm up here. That's not why I'm talking about this. The reason I'm talking about this is because we're talking about the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. Now, a couple weeks ago, Josiah talked through Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He did a great job showing us the things that we can glean from that passage. Today, I want to talk through the entire book, go from start to finish, and tell you all the things that you need to do and how you need to read this book moving forward if you want to take something from it. And if you read the book of Ecclesiastes the wrong way, you might walk away feeling very beat up. You might feel like the world is going to hit you and hit you very hard. And that's just the nature of this book. So today, I really want to show you how Ecclesiastes, just like Proverbs, points us towards a good life. And so in order for me to do that, I need to start at the Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1, and I need to end with the last verse of the book to give you a full picture of what this book is, a, is all about. So today, as we look at the entire book of Ecclesiastes, and learn, we're going to learn how it's written, we're going to learn what it says, and we're going to learn how this book can change us, and how it should change us. So let's start with how this book is, re, is written. And in order for us to do that, we've got to look at the very first verse. Um, we have, and, and before I even read this, I want to I say... There are two different voices in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm just going to refer to them as voice number one and voice number two. Voice number one being the first voice of the book, voice number two being the second voice, okay? And so in the first verse, we get voice number one introducing voice number two, and it says this, Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So voice number one is telling us, hey, I'm about to quote this guy who is a teacher, who is the son of David and the king of Jerusalem. Now, some have taken this to mean he's talking about Solomon. 
Solomon was a son of David. Solomon is, he, he was a teacher. He said many wise things. And he was a king in Jerusalem. Probably a safe bet to, to assume that. Now, we've talked about Solomon a lot as we've talked through the book of Proverbs. Solomon was the guy, he was the third king of Israel. He was the king at the height of Israel's power. He builds the temple. He builds a really nice palace for himself. God comes to him in a dream. He became the king as a kid. And God comes to him in a dream and says, hey, like, I will give you whatever you want. What, what would you like? And Solomon says, give me wisdom so that I can lead my people well. And God grants him that and then also says, you're going to be blessed with, with wealth and, and I'm going to bless you and your kingdom. And so we get this guy named Solomon who just is just oozing wisdom. And people, like neighboring people all through Israel are coming to Solomon to hear of Solomon's words. Okay, So, so it's probably Solomon, but it, it might just be a teacher quoting Solomon as well. But that's the second voice. Okay, so it's important to understand that there are two different voices in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'll tell you why as we get to the end of the book, but that is how the book is written. Now let's, let's talk about what the book says, okay? And if, if you have read the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, you, you, probably have, you probably know where we're going tonight. It, it does kind of talk about, just like how I felt that feeling of, of life is looming and I'm getting older and we're all getting older and we're just going to get older from here on out, right? Like, that is a lot of what the message of the book of Ecclesiastes is. He is looking at this teacher, voice number two, is looking at life and telling us that it is all really meaningless in a lot of ways. This is how he starts, this is how voice number two starts. He says in verse two of Ecclesiastes one, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. This is how he starts his, his little speech, his little teaching lesson. And then from here until Ecclesiastes 12, this whole time voice number two is talking, he kind of goes from one thing to the next to things that we strive for as humanity, and he tells us why this is meaningless and how these things will fade away. Now, meaningless might not be the best word to, to translate when we're talking about this here. Another translation that we get is the word vanity, or he kind of says that everything in this world is vain. So I want to take a minute to explain what he means when he says meaningless or what, what he means when he says vanity. And ultimately, what he is saying is vanity is something that eventually fades away. Something, it's something that does not matter. Or so, in other words, um, the opposite of the good life is vanity. So when we tell you, we've been going through this series, we've been talking about the book of Proverbs, I've been wanting us to read these old ancient texts because I think that it points us towards what it means to live a good life, the best life possible. When we talk about that, that ultimately means we are living a meaningful life. And so the author here, this, this voice number two is telling us that most of life doesn't matter. And so the book of Ecclesiastes, if Proverbs is all about how to live a good life, the book of Ecclesiastes is all about how not to live a good life, how to live a vain life. And so the way that he does this is by going through all these different things that we strive for in life and telling us that, hey, time, it, it doesn't stop ticking. And we, humanity is kind of in this endless cycle. Nations will rise and fall and, and, and things will ultimately stay the same. And he uses this phrase, nothing is new under the sun talking about this idea that we're reading this book thousands of years since it's been written, and humanity is really still the same. Even though we have different technology and societies are different in different nations and we live in different places, really man hasn't changed all that much. And really, if we continue to seek after the things that man seeks after, it'll be meaningless. 
And so he talks about the pursuit of money and the, and the pursuit of, of working for your job too much and the pursuit of, of debauchery and, and all of these different topics and saying, yeah, these things that, that man craves for, that, that we seek after, they ultimately leave, leave you with nothing. Things fade away. Life, and then he also goes on to say that life is unfair. What we experience in life isn't always, there's a lot of injustice in this world. He says in Ecclesiastes 8.14, There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. And so what he's saying here is, not only does the world fade away, not only are the things that we strive for, are they worthless and meaningless, but also there's a lot of injustice in this world, and therefore that is meaningless too. Right? Like we, there are a lot of really bad people in the world, and it seems like they get richer and richer. It seems like their life is really, really good. And meanwhile, there's a lot of terrible, horrible things that happen, that happen to a lot of really good people. What's up with that? Life isn't fair. Now, how many, how many people have siblings in the room? Probably most of us have a sibling. Now, how many people are, in, are the middle child? There we go. We got, we got some. Someone started laughing at the middle child. Like, listen, I'm a middle child, so I, I understand. The struggle is real. I think that this lesson, um, if you have siblings, especially if you're a middle child, this lesson of life being unfair is one that you learn pretty early on in life. Thinking about, like, some of my earliest memories are of me kind of sitting down and, like, making sure my siblings never got anything more than me, right? Like, like if we're, like, both getting chocolate milk, like, I'm like making sure we both have the same amount of chocolate milk. And if my brother has more than me, I'm telling my mom, like, hey, like, you got to give me a little bit more. You know, like, like, life isn't fair, right? And then we're always trying to make sure life is fair. And, it, and here's the real truth. If you're the middle child, life really isn't fair because people just forget about you. You know, like, the older brother, like, my brother was the first baby boy. Big deal, you know, like, everyone loves him. Everyone's so proud of him, you know. I come along, no one cares, you know, no one, no one cares. And then my sister comes along, she's the only girl, she's the youngest, she's pretty cute, everyone loves her, you know, but no one cares about Luke, you know, no big deal. I actually, when I think about when life really hit me, uh, about this, like when I realized life was unfair, um, I was at the age where my brother was, he was older, he, like, he was in high school, but I was still at that age where I, I couldn't be left home alone. My brother was out doing something, and so my family, the four of us, minus my brother, were going out shopping. We were going to a mall. And they sat us down. Before we even got in the car, they sat us down at the stairs, and they're like, look, we're going to the mall. You have to go. I didn't even really want to go, um, but I had to go because I wasn't allowed to be home alone. Like, we're going to the mall. You guys, can, you guys can look around. If you have your own money, you can buy things, but don't ask us for anything. Like, you're not getting anything. We have a few things that we need to get. You, the answer is no, you will not get anything, okay? So I'm like, all right, great. Like, I don't want to go to the mall, and now I know that I'm not getting anything, so like, this, this is unfair, this stinks. You know, I'm like, kind of like moping around, we're driving there. The first store we go to, when we get to the mall, mom looks to, looks to Rachel, my sister, and goes, hey, like, let's go to Discovery or Justice or whatever the girly store was. Like, let's, let's go to this store. Like, we got to get you some things. And I was like, Really? Yeah, right? Like, are we serious? Is this, is this life right now? Like, I know I'm not getting anything, and here's my little spoiled little sister getting all these things, right? I speak lightheartedly about this, but some of us might be really experiencing the world and, and really going through this idea that life is unfair. And Ecclesiastes is telling us this truth. There is injustice in this world. 
Now, I, I intentionally picked a lighthearted story because this is a heavy book that covers a lot of heavy topics. And maybe some of you fully understand this. Maybe some of you are in, in the thick of an injustice in the world right now. Or maybe, maybe some of you really don't need to be sold on the idea that the world isn't the way it should be. And you're experiencing this idea that things fade and that a lot of things that you search for are meaningless. But it is important to note because this voice number two, this Solomon character, really wants us to get across, to understand this point. Now, this isn't all that voice number two has to say, though. He, this is the bulk of it. This is how he starts his teaching lesson. This is how he ends his teaching lesson in Ecclesiastes 12. He ends with, by saying that everything is vain, right, and everything is meaningless. But he also has moments where he talks about there are things in this life even though it fades away, even though there is injustice and things are unfair, there are things worth enjoying. And so Ecclesiastes 3.13, Josiah talked about this the other week. It says this, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. So So the voice here is telling us, hey, we can really do good work and find enjoyment, find value in that. Then he goes on to say in Ecclesiastes 5.19, Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. There are a few times where where voice number two kind of says, hey, there there are things that we can enjoy in this life. Ultimately pointing at the relationships, there are things in this life that aren't meaningless, that have value. And ultimately what he's saying, I really appreciate this verse here because he tells us here that we all have a lot in life where we can enjoy things. Or in other words, something that I really want us to get from voice number two is God supplies everyone with what they need to live a good life. This verse is ultimately, that's what it's telling us. We all have been given by God what we need today to live a good life. So it's not our job to look to our siblings and see that they have more chocolate milk than us or see that, that they're going shopping when, when we were told that they, they, they shouldn't get anything, right? Like, like we are not designed to look at other people and think, man, they have it better than me and, and, and their, their life is better than mine. Instead, we should look at the lot that God has given us in our own lives and recognize that he has given us all that we need to start living a, to, to start living a good life now. So again, it's really, it's, it's really easy to look at Ecclesiastes and all of what voice number two is saying and go, man, life, life is hard. There's really no point. Like the, that basketball team that I want to make or the, those grades, that school that I want to go to, it's all meaningless. That's, that is not the purpose of the book. And that's important to understand because you can read this book easily and just get discouraged, especially if you read like, just like chapter two or chapter three. Like you might just get really discouraged and walk away. But that isn't really how we should be reading this book. And in order for us to fully understand this, we've got to look at the end of the book. Because we see the true purpose of this book with the final couple, cha- couple verses um, in, in Ecclesiastes. It says this. This is Ecclesiastes 12, 13 to 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. See, now at this point in the the book, we have voice number two has gone away and voice number one is back. 
right? And so I like to think of voice number one as a parent. Just like in Proverbs, the author is a parent writing to their child. They love their child. They want their child to experience a good life, the best life possible, right? I like to consider the voice number one is that same voice again, but he's quoting Solomon. He's quoting that voice number two and kind of running through everything that this man has said, and then he gives his take on it with these final two verses, and he leaves us with a message of hope. So I really want us to get across this point. In order for us to read Ecclesiastes well, in order to fully understand the purpose of this book, we need to take into consideration both voices equally, which might be hard to do because both voices are not, um, they they don't get the the same amount of words in this book or in this this verse, right? So I I went above and beyond today. I made a graph for you guys to kind of show you how imbalanced the book of Ecclesiastes is written. Can can we get that picture of the graph um, up behind us? We got it? Oh, yeah. See that? I made that. And uh, I didn't go on Excel or Word. I, I just typed in, like, pie chart maker and just typed that in. Okay, so there are 222 verses in the book of Ecclesiastes, right? A lot of, a lot of verses. Um, fun fact, though, you could probably read the book 20, 30 minutes. I would encourage you to do that. Sit down and read it. Um, seven of those verses are from voice number one. And I would argue that... The final two verses from voice number one, that is the main message of the book of Ecclesiastes. Even though we are flooded by the, the meaningless nature of, of, of voice number two and how he's telling us that the world is hard and don't, don't toil and struggle too hard because it's all going to fade away anyways. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes and walk away with that message, you are missing the point of the book. So if you don't even have time to read through the entire book of Ecclesiastes, I would encourage you to read a chapter and then read the final few verses every single time. Because everything, um, voice number one is, is saying this in light of everything that voice number two has said. Right? And, 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 and every form of, of toiling and every form of vanity that voice number two covers in the book of Ecclesiastes, look at the final verses of the book and that is what voice number one has to say. Yes, life is vain, and, and, and money fades away. But when we fear God, we understand that he is a perfect and powerful judge. And we understand that he will make things right. And we can have hope in that. And that is the true, ultimate message of the book of Ecclesiastes. All right, so that is what the book says. Now I want to close today by giving us four things that how we should change our lives. How knowing all of these things, how knowing what the book of Ecclesiastes is, how it's written, how we should read it, now, now I want us to know how this book should change our lives. And so the first one is, is a message that we've been hearing a lot as we've talked through the book of Proverbs, we've talked about what it means to live a good life, and it's this, fear the Lord before anything else. We get this from Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, which I just read for you, but it says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. It's really funny that this is one of the main points, this is the main point of, of Ecclesiastes because this is also the main point of the book of Proverbs. Right? In, in, in a lot of ways, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are opposites that say the same thing and have the same message. Right? Ecclesiastes is telling us all the things that the good life isn't. Proverbs is telling us all the things that the good life is. But they both have this statement of fearing the Lord. Proverbs tells us that, that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. 
And now, Ecclesi- that's, that's how Proverbs starts. Ecclesiastes ends by telling us, it is the chief purpose of all of man to fear God. Now, we talked about what that phrase means the first week of this series. Now, if you guys didn't hear that, that's okay. I want to take this time to remind you that all of our Shig Talks get recorded and put on shig.org. You guys are more than welcome to come and check those out. This talk will be online in like 20 minutes. Pretty cool. We're pretty high tech here. No big deal, not to brag. But we talked about what it means to fear God. And so if I could just sum it up really quickly, fearing God means that you recognize his power and authority and you are willing to center your life around that. You are, are willing to move your life around the power and sovereignty of God. You submit your will to God's will in your life. And when you start doing that, you start fearing the Lord. Next point that I want us to get. I want us to understand that there is nothing man can do to change the vanity of life. Voice number two tells us this pretty early on. Ecclesiastes 1.15 says, What is crooked cannot be, straight, cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. And I've already talked about how there's vanity, vanity is, is a huge phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. Another huge phrase is there is nothing new under the sun. Right? This idea that anything that is under the sun will rot and fade away, just like how we came from dust, we will return to dust. Right? And nothing ultimately changes. And we can do our best to break that pattern, but if we are on our own, everything that we do ultimately leads to nothingness, ultimately leads to a meaningless, vain life. Which is important to note because a popular belief, like we've mentioned, is that voice number two is Solomon. And Solomon is a guy that was at the peak of life. We've already talked about it. He was a king of a very powerful nation, a very wealthy nation. And he was very wise and knew a lot of things. And he might have been the one penning most of this book and telling us that all those things don't really matter if you're not fearing God. And so if we choose to continue to be like man and, and ignore God and keep our eyes on the earth that will eventually fade away, we will ultimately live a life that is full of vain and that, that will fade away and that will be meaningless. But luckily, we have a solution, right? And that, that leads me to our, our third point from the book of Ecclesiastes, how we should live our life, and it's this. Have hope in the fact that God is our judge and will bring everything into judgment. I want to reread the last verse of Ecclesiastes. It says this. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. See, voice number two spends most of his time laying out all the things in this world that are vain, how, how this world will fade away, how this world is unfair and unjust. And now, voice number one is reminding us that our God, who is a perfect judge that we talked about, right? Like he is all good and he, he is the perfect judge, the best person to be sitting at this throne of power, will look at all of those things and judge them and ultimately make them right. We have the, we, we have the ability now to have hope because it's out of our hands. And, and we know this to be true because God loved us so much, this perfect judge loved us so much that he sends his son down to die for us. And then three days later, he shows that he has power over this, this vain world. And he has the ability to give us life, to give us meaning. So we have hope now in the judgment of God. And we should look to God. When we are experiencing the injustices of this world, when we feel like the world is unfair, when we feel like the things that we are doing are just meaningless and fading away, 
We're called in Ecclesiastes to look up to God, who is the perfect judge, and know that he will make all things right, and know that we actually can have a meaningful life here on this, here on this earth, and we can live a good life here on this earth if we are looking to him. So I want us to read the book of Ecclesiastes and walk away not with this doom and gloom, not how I was feeling when I realized that I only have 400 days left in my 20s. I don't want us to feel that way when we read the book of Ecclesiastes. Instead, I want us to be full of hope because that's the purpose of the book. Final thing. I want us to share about God because he is the only solution to vanity. We've just talked about this. Man can't change this, right? Only Jesus can. Only God, only God is the perfect judge. He's our only hope in this vain world. But here's the reality. We have people, maybe people in this room, that don't fully know who God is, that don't know that, that we are created by someone who is all-powerful and who is all-loving, who sent his son down to die for us so that we can live an abundant life. There are people in this world that are going through this vain life and struggling and toiling with the, with the idea that what they're doing, what they're striving towards, ultimately means nothing. Because I believe in God, right? But, but I'm still living in this vain world, but I have a hope to look to. But there are people who don't have a hope to look to. There are people that don't have hope, and that maybe would read the book of Ecclesiastes and go shrug their shoulders and just walk away and not have a solution to that. But one of the best parts about our faith, one of the best parts about Scripture, is that we have a solution to the vanity in this world. And that is Jesus Christ. And so once we subscribe to that, once we recognize and follow him, it is our task to share the good news, right? Share this, this fact that, that we serve a God, we are created by a God who is the perfect judge and will make all things right. And so I think the book of Ecclesiastes is written to non-believers. Most people would, would agree with, with what voice number two has to say. And they can be enlightened and transformed by the things that voice number one has to say. Because voice number one offers a solution to all this toiling in this world. So my prayer for us tonight as we close is that we can see that even though Ecclesiastes is full of, of really hard and heavy things, it points us to a good life. And so my prayer is that we would respond to it by looking up and understanding that we have a God who loves us, who created us, and who is a perfect judge that is making all things right. Let me close this in prayer.